story teller is going to be Izzy Carey. Uh, some facts about Izzy is that Izzy loves nature, which makes sense because she is actually a woodland, a woodland fairy who lives within the trees. She loves to laugh, which causes uh, the woodland creatures to prance merrily in place. And her story is titled, Trying to be Katniss Everdeen. that intro, Miss R. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when I was younger, I was in uh, a program called the Wild Nature Project. And this, I was in the um, groups for homeschoolers because I was homeschooled when I was younger. Um, but there was different age groups in the groups. And I had only been in the Curious Otters, which is for the little kids. And um, I had just turned 10. And that meant I'd move on to the Rompin' Foxes with the cool older kids, preteens. Um, so I was very nervous on the first day. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself because it was new and it was it was crazy, but thank God I had my best friend with me who I could just hang out with all day. Um, in the Wild Nature Project, we do lots of activities. We have fires, we hike, and we play games. But on this particular day, they decided to choose archery. It was very weird. <clears throat> Sorry. It was a very weird form of archery. Um, they put, they had partners, like pairs of people, and um, one person had the bow and arrow, and the arrows were safe. They had big blocks of foam on the end of the arrow. And then there was a person, and they had an object on their head or hands, <laughs> which was very concerning at the time for me. Um, and I was like, okay, okay, let's just not embarrass myself here. Um, let's, uh, let's just say this kid, he had an object on his head and that made me even more nervous. And I'm going to say it's an apple because I do not remember what specific thing it was, but we were all in a field and everyone started separating to create distance. And I was so nervous. Um, oh my gosh. Okay. Okay, I was so nervous because I did not want to hurt this kid and I did not want to accidentally hit anyone else. <laughs> um, but, you know, we were stepping back. I was like looking for where I was gonna aim. I was like, okay, it's on his head. Not gonna be that hard to miss. Um, so I just got the arrow in hand. I was like, okay. So I got in a cool stance uh, and I like started pointing and I pulled the arrow back and I'm like, this is cool. Like, I look like Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. Like, that's cool. And so I pulled the arrow back, and I aimed it for the apple, and I let go. I missed. <laughs> but I was like, oh, that's okay. It's fine. But I didn't know why he was on the ground. <laughs> um, or why everyone was laughing. <laughs> I had shot this kid right in the crotch. <laughs> And I did not, I seriously did not figure that out until he obviously fell on the ground and started wailing. 
I was so embarrassed. I was just hiding behind the crowd like, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> and my best friend was cracking up. Betrayal. <laughs> oh my gosh. But the instructors are like, oh, it happens all the time. <laughs> they were definitely lying. Oh my gosh. But by the end of the day, I was, my nerves were shot. And I was still like, you know, I could barely talk. Um, but my mom's, uh, my friend's mom came to pick us up in the car and she put us in the back of the car. That is important, okay? <laughs> so, you know, we were just sitting and her mom was talking away with the instructors. And, you know, I was still silent. Um, <laughs> but we had realized that this kid's parents parked right next to us. <laughs> And his parents are like, how was your day? And he was like, this girl shot me right in the crotch. <laughs> and, and my best friend started laughing so hard, and I had to cover my hand over her mouth and just hide my face. <sighs> this is a very embarrassing story, but now I can laugh about it, and later I could laugh about it. Um, you'd think it'd end there, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh my gosh. During this project, I was like, I don't know what to write about. And then I remembered this story. And I was like, I kind of didn't want to remember that story. <laughs> but I remembered it. So I chose to write about it because I was like, it's funny, obviously. And I told Miss R about it because I knew she'd laugh. And of course she did. <laughs> and um, I didn't realize the TA had heard about it. <laughs> he heard it. And he was like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> And he, um, he was like, I was, sh I was shot there, too, with an arrow. <laughs> and Miss R was like, it wasn't at the Wild Nature Project, right? He was like, actually, yeah, it was. <laughs> so I, was, I did not know what to do myself, with myself. I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I would just put my face in my hands. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, at least it makes a pretty good addition to the story. <laughs> By the way, sorry, Walter. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that apology. Uh, <laughs> you called those arrows safe at one point, but I have to disagree with you on that. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right, so our next storyteller is going to be Eden Campbell. And a few facts about Eden is that Eden is a human that can't figure out why animals with a bad reputation like to come for him. So uh, their story is called The Chainsaw. Uh, hello, so I'm Eden, and I have a contentious relationship with animals. I typically like them, however, some are disliked. So this is a bit of an intro to my contentious relationship with animals that my mom doesn't remember. Uh, so we're riding down this like two like this dirt trail. It's like a two-seated bike, and I hear this low like vroom, vroom, whooping sound, and I don't really think of anything because we're near the highway. You know, it could be cars coming by. And my mom kind of like yells at me, uh, 
to like ring the bell and start pedaling. And I've never really heard my mom scared before at this point in time. So I'm a little scared. And I realized that the sound is coming from behind me. So I look back and I see this black vulture coming down out of the trees towards us. I did not spend any time delaying to comply with my mom's request. So nothing really happened, but that's a bit about my contentious relationship with animals. And now for the actual story, the chainsaw. So me and my friend, or my friend, sorry, Forrest has uh, two dogs and two cats. One of those cats has the nickname of the chainsaw. And they got this nickname because they would tear up wood with their claws. And two, if you mess with them, you didn't forget what happened. So uh, I'm at my friend's house. And whenever I was there, I would avoid the chainsaw. The chainsaw would avoid me. Nothing would happen. And one night, I was feeling sleepy, so I went to bed. And I get woken up in the middle of the night by some paws walking over me. I don't think anything of it, because, you know, he has two dogs and two cats at the time. So uh, I just, you know, go back to sleep. And the next day, I wake up, go on the recliner that he has, and start playing games. And the chainsaw's walking over to me. And I'm like, ah, it just wants to, like, sleep on this recliner. So I get off and move to the couch, and it lies down on the recliner and gets up and moves away. And I'm at this point, I'm sucked into this game. So I don't really notice anything moving towards me from the right. So I feel a paw on my knee, and I look down, and it's the chainsaw. And then it just lies down on my lap. And I don't know what to do, because it only likes one person, and that person is not me. <laughs> so I have this cat on my lap that I've heard like horror stories about. And so I kind of put my hands up defensively, like, because I don't know what to do. And I'm like thinking, should I go ask for help? Uh, should I try to kind of move it to the side? Because it's just lying on me. And uh, at this point, I'm starting to like tense up, and I'm, but I'm like trying to relax. And I'm also trying to make myself kind of small so I don't scare it. And it starts making noise and vibrating. And I'm used to dogs, so I think it's growling at me, of course. <laughs> and... Then it just turns its head and looks me directly in the eye. And I just, I get this chill down my spine. It reminds me of the vulture, actually. And so um, I don't know what to do. And my friend's dad walks in. And he just sees me like this, like with my hands up and like a cat lying on my lap. And he just like, is like, what are you doing? And not, not really like angrily, but like confused half yell and I just say like in a really quiet voice it's growling at me because <laughs> I'm used to dogs and so he just kind of looks at me and laughs and is like it's purring and I'm like oh that makes sense still don't know what I should do with this cat on my lap that's you know I can at this point it's claws are like digging through my jeans and I can feel it poking into my legs so that's not helping me relax at all. And I'm just, so now in like a, a slightly more confident voice, but still not confident at all, I go, what do I do? And now he just laughs at me because it's ridiculous. Because, you know, it's a cat and it's on my lap and it's purring. You're supposed to pet it. So that's what he says. He says, you pet it. And 
So after that day of utter and absolute humiliation from a cat, uh, I learned to have suspension of belief because, you know, the cat wasn't actually that dangerous. It, they just made it sound like that. But also to be optimistically cautious around nature because, you know, it still could have scratched me a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my story. That's a pretty good story. I like that one. <laughs> um, so our next presenter is going to be Gavin McCord. Uh, Gavin is a total klutz who cannot stop accidentally hurting himself in the dumbest possible ways. He also talks about video games quite a lot. Uh, and there, Gavin's story is called Sinking Feeling. Okay, so this was back in, I believe, third grade. Um, we, so my school would host these, uh, days where we'd go to my art teacher's farm and hang out. We called those field days. Oh my gosh. And on those days, uh, there were a ton of activities such as slip and slides in the spring. Uh, there were horse troughs that we could swim in. Don't know why. Uh, so after, it was either before or after lunch, I'm pretty sure it was after, this time it was after, uh, so my friends and I were talking during lunch, and they brought up the hike, and so the hike was about an hour long, and because I was in third grade, I was in the not-so-bad hike, I'll call it, it was a very simple hike, mostly just up and, uh, up hills, down hills, and this was my first hike. And I had heard horrible things about the hike. Stuff like kids had gotten lost and found way later, but... <laughs> and by way later, I mean maybe 30 minutes. <laughs> but that's a long time for a third grader. And I think somebody spread a rumor that somebody lost a limb once. That didn't happen. That did not happen. But they were talking to me about the hike. I was super against going on the hike, and I don't know exactly what they said, but by the end of lunch, I was convinced I, I was going on the hike. So come the end of lunch, they ring this little bell by the porch to signal the end of lunch. Somebody calls to line up if you're going on the hike. About, I think, a group of 30 of us lined up. And they counted all of us. About five minutes later, we took off into the woods. And overall, it was pretty simple. Like I said, a couple downhills, a couple uphills, thorn bush here and there, trees everywhere, of course. Uh, there was the occasional, I'd say, like 10-foot slide. Uh, one kid slid down and got stuck in a thorn bush. Uh, sounded like fun. Uh, come about, I'd say, halfway through the hike, there was a small divot, about, so a downhill about two feet, about two meters of land, and then another uphill that's about three feet tall. Um, in this little divot was a pool of mud with a teacher standing over it. And the teacher was advising people to walk around the mud 
I'm a third grader. I don't care what the teachers tell me. So I just disregarded everything that was said, and I just waltzed right on through the mud. I took one step, took another step, went to lift my back foot. It was lodged. It was not coming out. And the more I tugged, the more it felt like my foot was sinking. So I'm panicking. There's a teacher right next to me trying to like help me get my foot out. And I just come to the realization, I have to abandon my shoe. So I make the hardest decision of my life up to that point, And I pull my foot out of my shoe and hop away. Because I'm not going to get my socks dirty. Like, why would I do that? So I'm just hopping around on one foot. And I have to get up this hill. There's another teacher coming by, and they help me up. My boot is still in this pool of mud. And there's just this wave of sadness, I feel. Sadness that I have to abandon my shoe. Because I liked that shoe. I really did. It was a cool-looking shoe. No, it didn't have lights. It was a boot. Um, so this teacher now has to help me through majority of the hike. So thankfully, it was the little kid's hike, so it was very simple. If it was the fifth grade hike and above, I don't think I would have made it. Uh, so she uh, guides me through majority of the hike. And about 15 minutes later, I think, we get to this very steep uphill that we have to climb up. And this is when I realize I have to use both my feet if I want to get up here. And I really don't want to do that. I didn't bring a spare change of socks. So I get ready, and I hear some footsteps decently far behind me. I turn back, and it's the teacher who is standing by the pool of mud. And they're holding something. So I try to get a closer look, and it's my shoe. And there's just this wave of relief this wave of happiness. And so I just hopped on over, and without saying a word, I snatched my boot. The amount of happiness I felt for holding my shoe again. It's, it's inexplainable. <laughs> so I put it on, and I skipped away, and scaled that uphill like it was no problem. <laughs> And the rest of the hike was pretty simple from there on. And as, I guess, ridiculous of a story as that is, it did teach me something rather valuable. And that is, you never realize what you have until you've lost it. <laughs> and quicksand mud stuff sucks. <laughs> Thank you, Gavin. Next up, we have Hunter Olson. Hunter has lived on a farm his whole life. He breaks the mold of the stereotypical country boy by showing his intelligence and humor in each and every situation. He likes to hover over Miss R and Miss Barr, 
but he's very charming, so it's less creepy than it sounds. I see Miss R looking at me right now, giving me the gaze. I think it's exactly as creepy as it sounds. <laughs> His story is 80 who've stepped on me. Okay, so back when my great-grandma was still alive, and she had sheep at her house, but she needed my dad and me to take care of them. So one day we went up there, and she told my dad that we needed to put him in the barn so we could do some work to him over the weekend. So my dad was like, okay, and then we head out to the barn. And there's no working door on the front of the barn. So my dad's like, you need to stand in this door, make sure the sheep don't get out. Get this. I was four at the time. I don't think he had the brightest decision, but, and to give you a little layout of the barn, we got the front door, and then there's like an aisleway going to a back pen in the back, and it has a gate closing it off from the rest, and there's four pens in front of that, and the back pen has a working door on the back that leads out to a pasture, so all the sheep are out in the pasture, and my dad goes to get them, and he runs them into the back pen, then closes the door behind them, and my dad's like, I'm going to run them into the aisleway, make sure they don't get out the door. So my dad runs him in the aisleway, everything's going good, then he shuts the gate. When he shut the gate, he bumped into one of the sheep, and that scared it. When one of them gets scared, they all get scared, so that was not good. I was still standing there, you know, just wandering around in the doorway. And so my dad looked at me and said, stand there, don't let him get out, I'm going to run him into the pens. He opens the pens, and then he goes to sort them, and he hit another one. And 20 fully grown sheep with no brain cells left decided I was their way out. And when sheep tried to go around something, they jump over it. So they charged, and the first one, it jumped, and it hit me in the face. Knocking me over. I was laying on the ground. And the good thing that happened, like the one good thing, is the rest decided to run over me. Because if they had jumped, they would have made a landing target out of my chest and head. So they ran over me. And, you know, when the last one came through, my dad, he came over to me and was like, why are you laying on the ground? <laughs> and then he just kind of picked me up and sent me in the truck. To, so he could go get the rest of the sheep. And now, before you go call CPS, it's okay. He knew I was okay. I was being upset of fright and not injury. <laughs> but then, on the way home, my dad was like, you know, you are supposed to move out of the way if that happens, right? <laughs> and I was four years old. I didn't know that. I was just trying to make him proud. <laughs> so, <laughs> moral of the story is, if you're trying to make him proud, just have some brain cells about it. Thank you, Hunter. I'll be sure to take my, uh, that lesson to my uh, next family meeting. I like the brain cells theory. Uh, next up, we have Chase Miller. Chase is very funny. He also likes steak and basketball. He's also bringing us a llama. Oh, wait, no, sorry, I misread that. His story is llama. I got a little overexcited. <laughs> um, 
when I was in third grade, my mom asked me if I wanted to go to this camp for kids with ADHD. And they have these camps all across the country. And mine just happened to be about llamas. So I didn't listen to anything my mom said about the camp. All I heard was it was a camp. So I said yes, because I just didn't want to talk to her, really. I just wanted her to go away. But it turns out to be a 12-day camp in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. <laughs> and we, my grandma and my mom drive me there. And once you, once you get there, you drive down this long road. And there's all the camp stuff, like cabins, going deep into the woods and a bunch of fields and stuff. And we stay there for a few days and do camps, normal camp stuff. But then... After a few days, the real adventure begins. Um, we go into the mountains, and I get a llama. And his name was a little dude. And he was the smallest llama, which was relatable because I used to be, like, really short. And me and little dude did everything together. We... We went on hikes together, and we took cute selfies together, <laughs> and we sat by the campfire, and, but the best thing we did was the llama race, and all, like, the 10 people in our group lined up with all of our llamas, and we had our little tether thing attached, and the guy said go, and we ran, and I won. Well, like, technically he won, but he didn't do anything. He was just there to, like, celebrate with me. So, yeah. And I knew me and little dude were best friends when he spat on me. <laughs> and, but sadly, after a few days, I had to give him up. And we went back to the camp and did camp, normal, lame camp stuff again. But we went whitewater rafting, and I saw Taylor Swift's house. And from now on, I've been a Taylor Swift fanboy. <laughs> and even though it was a mistake to not listen to my mom, not many people can say that they saw Taylor Swift's house or had a llama, but I can. Well, congratulations, Chase and Little Dude. <laughs> so our next presenter is going to be Kaya Rail. And uh, some stuff about Kaya is that uh, Kaya is the coolest Culver's employee to ever deliver ice cream sundaes. He tells the best stories and has an innate talent for doing grandpa voices. <laughs> he, also wears, he also always has on a baseball cap, which likely means that he is hiding some intense secrets. And Kaya's story is called Cow. We have a lot of farm animals today. All right. When I was um, really little, I was like seven or eight, um, I, was, I was going over to my grandpa's house, and he lives on a farm, and I wanted to spend the night, so that's what I did. And the next morning... My papa gets up in the morning and gets all the farm work done, so I don't really have to do much in the morning. 
And I woke up, and I went outside to, like, join him and help him with stuff because I was bored. And, um, and he said there's only one thing left to do. And I asked him what it was, and he said, it's a surprise. <laughs> and, and I'm like, why, why, won't you, why won't you tell me? He goes, because if I told you, you wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right, fine, whatever, you know. So I was following him, and we're, I was following him. We're walking up. We meet the big barn where the cows are. And he goes in there. He says, follow me. And he puts his giant glove on. <laughs> and he goes, all right, Kaya, now watch. Watch and learn. And he sticks his hand in the cow. And he's feeling around in there. <laughs> for this for this calf and he goes mm-hmm mm-hmm <laughs> feels about right <laughs> and then he he goes all right Kai your turn and he says put this glove on and he hands me the glove and he and I put it on I'm like all right what what do I do and he sets down a stool and he's like stand on top and so I, I step up on this stool and I'm like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, you're not expecting me to do that, are you? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you are. And I'm like, no. And he goes, be a man. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to. And he, he grabs my arm and he like sticks it into the cow. And I'm I'm feeling around. I'm like, I don't know what to feel for. <laughs> and he goes, if you feel lumps, it's bad. But if it feels like you're petting little Susie over there, that's where it's at. <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right. Feels like I'm petting little Susie. <laughs> and I take my arm out. And there's this red goo, like red goo on my glove. And I'm like, I thought it was water. He goes, nope. I said, am I touching an alien? <laughs> so I take the glove off, and he goes, all right, push. <laughs> and I'm like, he like scares me. I'm startled at this point. And this cow starts coming out, hooves and face, and it's pushed out. And he expects me to carry this cow. And I'm like seven years old trying to carry this cow. He's like, all right, Kaya, come on. You got to carry him. And I'm like, all right. So I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm carrying this cow like above my head, right? And he's like, all right, let me help you. So he picks up the cow, we take him to the hose, spray her off, put a towel, dry her off, give her to her mom, and then we go inside and eat some breakfast. <laughs> now, the moral of this story is never trust a surprise. <laughs> Thank you for the amazing story. Sounds like a great, well-rounded day. Deliver a cow, have some breakfast. Like that. Next up, we have Noha Wilson. Noha is a grumpy person who unwillingly goes by Noha. Noha is an old soul who has seen it all. Nothing affects him, including the endless cycle of people butchering his name. Please welcome Noha.
Okay. So this was, a, I think this was around third grade, and this was during recess. And at my old school, uh, the park we went to, which was Third Street Park, uh, it was around a couple blocks away from our school, so we would all line up and uh, walk to the, to the park. And I remember when I was there, the recess was around 30 minutes, and I was just really frustrated about something. I don't remember what it was, or I didn't I don't remember any, really anything about it. I just remember it annoyed me throughout the day, and I just couldn't get out of my head. And at the end of recess, uh, we were all lining up to go back to our school, and I was around some friends. And in our, in our class, there was around, I would say around 30 to 40 third, second and third graders. And, you know, I was just around a few of my friends, and I was telling them about what I was, what I was frustrated about, whatever it was. And I got so frustrated about it that I s started smacking myself in the face, kind of like this. <laughs> and I didn't notice at the time, but I had this blood vessel in my nose that makes it really easy for me to have nosebleeds. Just, just to clarify. And on a third smack, I moved my, head, my, my hand from my face, and then it, people started screaming. And I, did, I was just laughing at them, because I, I didn't understand what they were laughing at. And I was like, <laughs> so I, but then I touched my lip, and I saw there was blood on it. I realized I just caused myself to have a nosebleed by smacking myself in the face. <laughs> and I've, I've had a lot of nosebleeds before, but never one this big or in front of people. So I started freaking out. And you know how third graders are when they see something new or they like look at something and they get like something really scary? They freak out. So everybody around me started pointing and screaming, which was like, you know, like I said, 30 to 40 people. So I don't know if I did this out of panic or embarrassment or whatever it was to try and clean up the blood, but I started picking up the blow of my fingers and licking it. <laughs> Reminder, I was in third grade, okay? <laughs> All right. Like, and, and it was, <laughs> and I, st I just started, picking it and licking it. And I did that for around a minute. <laughs> and then people started seeing me do that and then they started laughing even more because, you know, it was pretty stupid. And at this point I realized it wasn't working because it literally looked like I was Augustus Gloop trying to clean up the endless river of blood that was coming out of me. So, and we, so where we were lining up, there was, it was kind of on a small hill, and this was uh, in like mid-September, so there, it was during fall, so there, are a few, there was a bunch of leaves on the ground. And because I didn't have any paper towels or <laughs> tissues to clean, to stop the blood, I picked up a few leaves <laughs> and shoved it up my nose. <laughs> but you can imagine how bad that felt. It, it hurt, but I didn't really care at that point. That didn't help either. All it did was direct the blood onto my shirt. So now my shirt was covered in blood. And at this point, uh, a bunch of the people around me started calling me names. <laughs> they call, one, one girl said I looked like I had lipstick on, my, lipstick on because all my lips were just red. Another one called me Dracula because, you know, I, <laughs> Draculas love to eat blood, don't they? <laughs> but uh, it was just really, really embarrassing. And I didn't know what to do because everything at that point I was doing didn't work. And then uh, one of the uh, teachers that was watching us just 
grabbed me because she realized, you know, I was, I, I, I was just dead in the water at that point. <laughs> so she grabbed my arm and then sprinted along with me back to our, back to our school and then right into the health office where I could just hold paper towels to my face for 30 minutes. And I, like I, I stayed in there for like around 30 to 45 minutes. And this was on a Wednesday. On Wednesdays at my school, it's a half day. So we, I was going to leave school already in about two hours. But I couldn't go back into my class. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't go in there and face them and hear them call me more names. I, it was just, at that point, I was just done with the day. So my mom works as an instructional assistant there. So she could, I, I asked uh, the health office nurse to, if I could call my mom. And she and I asked her when she came to the health office, can you if I could if she could pick me up? And she said, Yeah, I can pick you up. And I didn't notice at the time also, but when you digest blood, it irritates your stomach. So as soon as I got home, because I had licked so much blood off of me, I threw up. Like as soon as I got home. <laughs> and for for a while, I was basically known as the person who had a giant nosebleed in front of everybody. Because a few weeks later, uh. There, some kid drew red marker on the on the carpet in our classroom, and some of my classmates saw that and they thought I had another nosebleed. So they went up to our teacher and said, "Hey, Noah had another nosebleed." And I was like, "And it, and the teacher went up to me and said, Noah, are you okay?'" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine." <laughs> There's not really a moral to the story here. Just, <laughs> just in the words of one of my teachers, "Don't do stupid stuff." Thank you, Noah. However, I'd like to make a slight disagreement. I think there is a moral to the story. It's pick it and lick it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next up, we have Alex Taboas. Alex is the type of person to constantly pick the wrong dialogue option in real life interaction, and then immediately go spend three hours sitting in a room with nothing but a TV and a dog. Now, real quick, I want to point out, I've noticed some themes in here. We've had a lot of cow, I mean, a lot of uh, farm animals. And the next thing I noticed is, uh, this story is called The Time I Delivered Triplets. I feel like little Susie's not alone. <laughs> so, um, this was, I, I, I found some stuff from that night, so I know almost exactly when it was. I think it was like August 18th, uh, 2020. Uh, so this was a, w a little while ago. Uh, my it was like ten at night, uh, and my dad had just left the house. Um, he had like gone to go do something. I don't remember what it was, uh, but he'd only left the house like five or ten minutes before. Uh, and I was sitting in like in my room. It'd been a pretty chill day. Like it was a beautiful day outside most of the day. So I went outside and I was like uh, playing with my dogs. Uh, for the most of the day, well, playing with my dog, because I had two dogs, and one of which uh, was not very active. Her name was Mogwai. Uh, she was a little peekapoo, uh, uh, and she was uh, a little, like, white and tan, like, splotched dog, and she was pregnant at the time, so not only was she not active, she was extra inactive, um, because you don't really do much when you're pregnant. Um, well, you might, but dogs don't. Um, uh, but, uh, so, she, uh, she was sitting on the bed, uh, with my other dog, Amigo. Uh, he's a little, like, very similar, little white and, uh, black spot, uh, splotch dog. And, uh, he was actually the reason she was pregnant. Um, 
but uh, I was sitting in there typing away at something, and it, uh, like, I, so, um, it, like, I, knowing that she wasn't a very active dog, I was fairly alarmed when she started not only, like, whining, she was a very calm dog as well, not only whining, but also running around the room. She started, like, running under my bed, uh, into her own kennel behind the bed. She tried to get behind my dresser, which is, like, pushed up against the wall, so it was an impossible task. But she is also very stubborn. Um, and she was doing this for a bit, and I was sitting there trying to figure out what was going on. Like, I, um... I messaged my dad about it, like, just letting him know that Mogwai was freaking out about something. Um, and then she, like, comes out from under my bed again and runs into her kennel for, like, the third time in uh, a solid ten seconds of her just sprinting around the room. And I uh, go kneel by the kennel, and she's just laying there. And um, I hear this sound from the back of the room that, if anyone here has dogs, I... Uh, um, if you've ever heard a dog, like, uh, ha find this squeaky toy that, like, is supposed to squeak in, like, it has a little squeaker in it, uh, except that squeaker is, like, dead, and it barely squeaks anymore, but this dog is just trying to get the last, like, sound out of that thing that it can. That's what I was hearing from the back of the room, just this little, like, kind of wheezy squeaking sound. So I go to the back room, um, and the back of the room is this gap between my bed and the wall, and it has a blanket just chilling down there, uh, like, furled up. So I go over to this blanket, uh, and I'm hearing the sound from here. It's louder now, but it's still not very loud in general. So I unfurl the blanket, and there is this, like, uh, think the shape of a jelly bean, but black and white, and also wet, and size it up to, like, fill your uh, palm kind of snugly. Um, and there's just this, and it is... I, I know exactly what it is, um... And I pick it up, and I run over and, like, very gently put it down with, it, uh, with his mother. Uh, I think it was the boy that came first. Um, uh, and I put him down with his mother, and she, like, starts sniffing him, trying to get him out of my hand as soon as she possibly can. Um, and she, like, curls up around him as soon as he's out uh, down there with her. And I start texting my dad, now knowing exactly what's going on. I let him know, and then I just toss my phone to the side because I, I did a project a few years ago on, like, how to rear puppies, and so I was fairly prepared for this, actually. <laughs> um, but what I knew from that project and what stayed in the back of my head the entire time was um, with people, there is a chance that when that baby comes out, it is not alive. With puppies, that chance, especially with the fact that they're birthing more puppies, that chance is a lot higher. Um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking through the entire situation, uh, like, while she's sitting there and dealing with her puppy. I, I'm thinking through this entire situation, thinking about this possibility, like, what I will do or think if, th if that happens. And that, like, it, it makes me want to, like, freak out for a moment. But Mogwai is a very, like, she adapts to the emotions of those around her people, which is weird for a dog. But if I start freaking out, she starts freaking out. So I don't do that. And I uh, just try to keep a calm head for her sake because the last thing she needs right now is to be freaking out. Because um, as wild as human births are, dog births are like that. They're, like, the mother's calm, she's, like, she, like, the only thing she really knows is happening is that there is a dog coming out of her. Um, so, the, I, I'm thinking about this through the entire night, and, I, it doesn't happen. 
like there 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 are two more puppies so i get a uh, number of three puppies um one just like her mom a little like black, uh, white and tan one just like his, uh, his dad and then one that is the size of both combined and also the colors of both combined um that love to eat so we called her sumo um but the the rest of the night went really well, and it, like we had our puppies. Mogwai grew to hate these puppies uh, eventually because they were these tiny little gremlin demon babies that were super needy and wanted everything from her all the time. Um, but we eventually had to sell them because we don't need more dogs in our small house. Um, so I think one of them is still in town, or two of them, but one is out of town. Um, and we haven't gotten to see them recently, which is kind of sad, but otherwise, um, I think the only reason that that went nearly as well as it did is one, luck, and two, the fact that even in probably one of the most stressful situations of my life, um, because I kept a calm head and it, it worked out, and they were really cute. <laughs> end the day with a story about a dead puppy. So I'm so glad that they're alive. Yay. Um, okay, so I'm going to um, give all of our storytellers a huge round of applause because you definitely deserve it. Good job. Um, also, thank you to our MCs. You guys were wonderful. Um, thank you for guests who have come. Um, if you are in American Studies, stay here. And if you're not, we love you, but goodbye. <laughs> Sorry it took us a while. We were it's waiting fun. on... We're telling our own story. Oh, that's fun. I'm sorry I missed that. Story. I told him story. Okay. Um, so we're going to get started. We only have four storytellers tonight. Um, so we will celebrate those four a lot. <laughs> um, oh, are you sure? Yeah, we, yeah I know. We, ho we hoped he'd be here right now. Um but regardless, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, our MC, Nicole DeWar, is here. We'll give her a round of applause. Um, she's my TA as well as a veteran storyteller herself. So whenever you are ready, Nicole. Hey, how, how is everyone doing tonight? Yeah. Are you ready for some stories? Yeah. Hey, first up we have Devin Kessinger with her story, A Strange Situation. Devin is a 15-year-old student here and is the swaggiest person around. <laughs> everyone puts her on their group member wish list because her brain cells are high key on fleek. <laughs> Devin is iconic in every way. Let's welcome Devin to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when I was younger, I used to like travel back and forth between houses a lot. And so obviously there was my dad's house and then there was my mom's house. And then there was also my mamaw's house, which we would stay at like all the time, like multiple days a week. And for some reason, we would always ask them, like beg them, can we please stay on night at your house? Because it was so fun there. And at first, for some reason, they would always say no. And so, like, just like to trick us. But then they would always wait until the very last second to say yes. 
And so then my mom would have to hurry up and like shove a bunch of clothes in the bag for us. And so she'd always just throw them in like a trash bag or like a Walmart bag just for convenience to make it easy on her. And so then we would go and stay the night for like a couple days or whatever. And this particular occasion, I was like on our way either to or from one of the houses. I don't remember which. It was just me and my mammal, which my sister just said that she was there, but we're going to say she wasn't for this occasion. <laughs> but so my mammal at her house, they don't have trash pickup there. And I'm not really sure if it's just because it's too expensive or if the trash doesn't run there. But she does this little life hack where you just uh, take your trash to a business nearby and throw it in their dumpster, which <laughs> I'm like 99.9% .9 sure it's illegal, but that'll be our secret. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we, we do that. And so we take our trash and we throw it in this giant industrial dumpster there at this business. And she also throws our clothes in the dumpster. So my mammal isn't the brightest, but to be fair, <laughs> they were in a trash bag like all the other trash. And so she realizes that she just threw like a week's worth of our clothes in the dumpster. And so there's these perfectly good clothes now in the dumpster and she's like, oh my gosh, their mom's gonna kill me. So she's like, well, we can't just leave there. And she can't climb in the dumpster because she's had like multiple back surgeries. And so she's like, hey, you're like a little six or seven year old. I'm going to have you climb into the dumpster. So I'm like, okay. And so she like lifts me up and I get into this dumpster. And it's like an industrial dumpster. So they have like a big ramp for like the trash to roll down. And so I just like slide down this like cold, rusty metal ramp and I land in the bottom of the dumpster. And I look around, and there's trash all around me. Some's in bags, but some's just, like, not even bothered to be in bags. And it's, like, smells really gross. And I, I find the bag that has our clothes in it, and it takes me a couple tries. But I end up throwing it out to the dumpster to her, and she catches it. And it's all good. The problem solved. Except I still have to get out <laughs> of the dumpster. And the thing is that it's a ramp, so normally I would just, like, run up it really fast like a slide and jump out except it's in the middle of winter, and this is frozen of like all kinds of ice all around the sides of the dumpster, including this ramp. So I'm like, all right, let's try this. And so I start, I get a running start, and I run, start running up. Halfway through, I slip on ice. My feet come out from underneath me, and I hit the dumpster and slide all the way back down to the bottom. So I'm back on square one at the bottom of the dumpster. But I'm really determined to get out, so I try again. Same thing, I slip and I fall and I'm back at the bottom. And I try again and again and again, and I end up looking like a Looney Tunes character because I'm like over and over and over and I keep falling. And so at this point, it's been like a good like half an hour. And now I'm like a little seven-year-old crying and I'm cold and full of like trash all around me. And my mammal, she's really religious, so she's like praying to God. She's like, please God, help me get my granddaughter out of the dumpster. <laughs> I, I doubt he's ever heard that before, but we're trying everything at this point. And so, eventually, uh, spoiler alert, I did get out of the dumpster, as I am here today. But how we did it was we made a plan to where my mammal, like, pulled her car up as close as she could to the dumpster, because, like, the dumpster's a little higher, we were about the same height. Ended up climbing up far enough to where I could, like, jump and, like, vault myself over the side of the dumpster and land on the roof of her car. <laughs> and so I'm just on the roof, and I'm able to get down from there. 
And so after this like hour or so, we I'm back in the car and she's like, well, we're not going to tell your mom the story <laughs> until years and years later. She did end up hearing it, obviously. And so, yeah, that's that's the story. And I guess the moral is that if you ever get stuck in a dumpster, if like you have enough hope and determination, you might be able to get out <laughs> or don't throw your cash away illegally. Wow, Devin, it sounds like you've been in some very trashy situations, but your story was not trash. <laughs> All right, next up we have Kane Holman with his story, I Got Demolished. Ooh. Kane is a 15-year-old male, and he has a personality that can make you smile, but also sometimes make you mad. He is someone you can count on no matter what you need. His life is a wild one. Let's welcome Kane to the stage. Uh, a little backstory. I've liked my best friend since third grade. Uh, one of the reasons why I liked her is because she had this personality of gold. She could light up a room with just a smile. So this story takes place in sixth grade. And me and my friends were outside at recess. And we were on the side uh, past the playground because they have this like big field so we would just play football there and so we didn't really want to do all that two-hand touch because we wanted to be men <laughs> and um, so about 10 minutes go by uh, within that 10 minutes I uh, got distracted because I looked over at my best friend so kind of started daydreaming and the snapper said hike and the ball got tossed to me, kind of bounced off my chest. So I was like, what? <laughs> and it brought me back to what I was doing. So uh, I picked up the ball. I see these uh, three dudes running at me. So I ran the other way, about halfway down the field. Um, I got tackled. So <laughs> and so I, we started running a couple more plays. And about five minutes go by, my best friend and her friends started uh, to come over and started watching us. Um, so me being the age I was and all that, I wanted to impress her. So I decided to do that because, like, with my strength, and because at the time that's what I thought was going to happen, I was going to impress her. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to absolutely demolish just any kid I could find. And I was gonna I, I was gonna chuck this kid five foot in front of me. And when I say like that, I was gonna hit him harder than a Monday morning. <laughs> so the snapper said hike. Um I uh he tossed me the ball, the quarterback, and I started running. All I see is this five foot uh little kid about 150 pounds, me being 5'6", 190, I started bailing towards him, just running as fast as I possibly can. And he is like all I see. I see nothing else. Nothing else is irrelevant, just him. Out of nowhere, 5'8", 200-pound kid. I, I swear he was 200 pounds. That's how it felt. He spears me, knocks the wind right out of my chest. And I was like... <clears throat> <laughs> and so about a minute goes by, uh, I look over at my best friend, 
all I see, all I hear was, <laughs> oh my, my heart sunk. Like it, my heart was here. It went down to here because of the spear. And um, so after that, about 30 seconds, me trying to get up. I walk over to the uh, other side of the field, away from her, of course, not trying to deal with all of that. <laughs> um, so after that, um, about a week of me just trying to avoid her, talking to my friends. When she came over, I started walking away. One day, she comes up behind me. I couldn't avoid this one. So I told her what happened. I mean, of course, I didn't tell her why I tried to kill a kid. Um, so um, about three months of me trying to get over and me just accepting the fact that pressing someone, not the right way to go. Just be yourself. So I started talking to her, and uh, we talked every day like we uh, used to. We hung out throughout the summer. Fast forward a year in seventh grade, we actually ended up dating. So the moral of the story, just be yourself. Don't be, don't be that kid. Just don't. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, okay, maybe your moral should be not to try to tackle someone to impress a girl. <laughs> okay, next up we have Luca DeFleece. Chasing the wind, Luca is actually a dinosaur in disguise as a human. He is leading the charge for dinosaur takeover by invariating the hearts of everyone he meets. He is also a child that gives off grandpa vibes. <laughs> Let's welcome Luca to the stage. Uh, hello. <laughs> um, as, I mean, as a child, I was a massive Harry Potter fan. I had a plush owl collection in the double digits. I had, <laughs> uh, I had multiple different wands I, and things like that. I went as a Harry Potter character for two Halloweens in a row. I was that level of Harry Potter obsessed, okay? Which is why I was really excited when a three-week uh, Quidditch event happened at my school. I was in fourth, about fourth grade, and... I was living for it. It was amazing. Now, it wasn't anything fancy like the college Quidditch teams you see these days, but it was close enough. Um, uh, every day after, um, in the last 40 minutes of school, we'd go outside and we'd play. Uh, now, I was not the most athletic, sporty kid, I, I would say, um, which is why I was almost always cast as the snitch, who was not actually a player in the game. <laughs> I was, my role was to put on a bright yellow t-shirt and have a piece of scraggly tissue paper stuck to my back. And then people would chase me around the whole game. <laughs> that, that was, that's what I did every day. But, but this game, now this game was different. This time, I was a chaser. The goal scorers of the game. I was actually playing. And you know what? It was Hufflepuff versus Gryffindor. Hufflepuff with their 100% loss streak, and Gryffindor, the Goliaths, who had won almost every game they've gone up against. I, it pretty much had won itself, I'd say. At least that's what I thought. 
but 20 minutes into the game, we were tied. We had 120 points to 120 points. This was it. We had a few seconds left of the game, maybe 10. We, if we got one more score, we could win this game. I was prepared to go off to the side to make sure I didn't get in the way of my teammates, because they <laughs> would definitely do it. So, but as I'm running to the side, I see something flying towards me. It's the red deflated dodgeball heading straight towards my face, and it lands at my feet. The whole world slows down as I stare down at this ball. I reach down and pick it up slowly. And as soon as I touch the ball, the whole world comes back. And I start booking it. I, this was my turn. I was going to be the hero of my team. I would go down in elementary school Quidditch forever as the person who won Hufflepuff's first game. It was amazing. I could do this. I could hear the Gryffindors chasing me aggressively. <laughs> it was terrifying, but you know what? I kept running. I was a scrawny little kid, and I could see, I could see my teammates cheering me on from the sides. They were raving their hands, yelling at me, and I was running. And I come up to the scoring area, and once I get in, the Gryffindors had to stop, and they prowled the outside waiting for me to take my shot. This was my moment. I wound back my arm, the deflated dodgeball in my hands, and I looked straight at the keeper, the goalie. He looked at me with a confused expression. <laughs> Probably because, I mean, like, I was this tiny Hufflepuff running at him. He was not expecting me, okay? <laughs> I was about to win this game, and he was surprised. So I, with all the confidence in the world, I stepped back and I threw that ball. And you know what? It went straight through the middle of that hoop. Perfect score. It was amazing. I could feel like all the joy of uh, victory. I now realize why people like to play sports. It was for this moment. And the whistle blew, signaling the end of the game. Oh, I was... Oh. <laughs> And the teacher, standing at the edge of the field, in her hands a scoreboard, now 130 to 120, was ready to yell, Gryffindor wins. I could see my heart dropping. Oh, I didn't understand. But as I looked around, I could see the Gryffindors erupting into cheers, and all my Hufflepuffs looking sad at their feet. And shame. <sighs> then I realized what I had done. I had scored in the wrong team's goal. I could see our goalie standing next to me. <laughs> looking at me with the most sad face in the world. He hadn't tried to stop me because he was in pure shock of seeing his own teammate trying to score against him. <laughs> We all lined up single file and headed back to the school. My head looking down at my feet, avoiding the eye contact of my fellow Hufflepuffs with all their yellow armbands tied around, <laughs> tied to them. <sighs> I was a failure that day. I felt the duality of sports. 
the joys of winning and the pure awfulness of losing. I was deflated like that dodgeball. But I guess I did learn one thing that day, that maybe it is valuable stopping and taking a second to listen to those around you, that maybe they aren't cheering you on, but actually trying to give you a very valuable message about turning the other direction. <laughs> Thank you. Luca. Well, at least it's called Quidditch. Quidditch, but you weren't a quitter. Okay. Next up, we have Andy Thompson. The Voice Voices is the title of Andy's story. Andy's one of those people that will listen to an entire conversation and really take in the information. But still say, what'd you say? Andy has gone through totes, swaggy gloves since childhood. Let's welcome Andy to the stage. Thanks for that introduction, <laughs> and thank you for writing that. <laughs> okay, so my story starts back when I was like eight or nine years old. I was living in my little townhouse apartment thing uh, by South in the ice skating rink, and I was sitting there. I thought I was home alone. I had just woken up. I was sitting there downstairs with my dog, just eating some food having some fun, didn't watch TV or anything because I was weird. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I see my dog's ears perk up. And I go, what did she hear? Because I didn't hear anything, of course, because I'm not a dog. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. <laughs> so I, I, I stand up, and I, I start to hear this weird little whisper coming from my kitchen. I'm like, okay. So me being a little eight-year-old, I did the sensible thing, and I started walking towards my kitchen. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is nice. And it's this little creepy girl voice saying, like, oh, come play with me, all that stuff. So <laughs> after I heard that, I started having a little eight-year-old panic attack. <laughs> after like five minutes of that, I somehow mustered up enough courage to get a weapon. So my weapon of choice was a lint roller. <laughs> but this wasn't any regular rent roller, lint roller. It was upside down. <laughs> I held it up above my head. I was, I was so ready to smack this little girl in the face. <laughs> I was like, if it gets any closer to me, I'm hitting it in the head. <laughs> so I head over towards my kitchen. And I, I hear the voice coming from my cabinet. So <laughs> I ready my lint roller. I grab the door handle. <laughs> I start twisting it. And as soon as I try to pull the door open, my hand slips. So I freak out and jump right back out of the room, <laughs> still holding the lint roller. <laughs> so <laughs> after 10 more minutes of panicking, I switch the lint roller to my other hand, and I get another weapon. I, I grab a dog rope off of the floor and I try to get my dog next to me to like, you know, go attack it. Um, she sat there and looked at me and cocked her head to the side and was like, I was like, go get it. She just went and ran back to the couch. And I was like, okay. So I swung in a couple times and I decided to throw it straight at the cabinet. 
no reaction. I, I got zero reaction. I thought I'd get like, a, oh, what was that? No, nothing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm standing there completely paralyzed. Like, why was there no reaction to that? There's obviously something in there, and I threw something at it. Why didn't I hear a voice? It just kept talking. It kept being creepy. So <laughs> I, got, I readied my lint roller again. <laughs> I, I walked back into the kitchen. I do the same thing. I grab the door handle. I twist it and I open it. This time my hand doesn't slip. <laughs> I see nothing in there. No little girl, no random toys rolling around or anything. All I see is this little Bluetooth speaker, or what looks like a Bluetooth speaker. I didn't know I was eight. <laughs> it's this, this little circle with a blue light on it. So I was like, okay. And the, <laughs> the audio was still playing. And I hear steps coming from the corner. I'm like, okay, the little girl moved. <laughs> So I readied my lint roller again, and I see my dad walk around the corner, and I'm like, I didn't know you were home. I thought you were at the store or something. He holds up his phone, and it's a YouTube video that says little girl creepy horror movie voice prank thing. I stand there. I drop my lint roller, and I start bawling. <laughs> I cried harder than I've ever cried. <laughs> And after a little bit of him trying to console me, I made him feel so bad that he, he had to drag me out to the car and we went and got food. <laughs> Moral of the story, don't be afraid of what you can conquer, whether that be heights, spiders, or little girls. <laughs> Thank you. character definitely should have been a paid actor okay so let's give a round of applause to Luca Devin Andy and Kane Woo! great job you guys Thank you. 